This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Everybody, welcome to Terror Talk with Shannon and Kathy. Hello. Hello. Good day. Good afternoon. Good evening. And good night. Good morrow. <laughs> good morrow. <laughs> Today on the show, we're going to talk about three different movies that incorporate a lot of the sim- a lot of similar themes. Fatal Attraction from 1987, Poison Ivy from 1992, and the movie Obsessed from 2009, which I had not seen. The other two I've seen several times. I hadn't seen Obsessed either. Yeah, so we incorporated all three, and we're going to talk about them. So let's just mention the movies really quickly so you know, just in case these are movies or decades that you don't have a lot of familiarity with. So Fatal Attraction is very, very famous movie from 1987, almost two hours long. When they used to make movies, <laughs> when they used to make dramas that were two hours long, now they're back to making them three hours long. But oh, seriously, for a while there, all the movies had to be 90 minutes. It was like a Hollywood, you know, a dictatorial statement. <laughs> That had to be that, but now I think the movie the movie still stands for me. It really did. A married man's one night stand comes back to haunt him when that lover begins to stalk him and his family. And so the theme of this episode today is also stalking. That's kind of how we picked these three movies is that was our entry into this topic was this is part of our female quote unquote psychopath series. That's just the name of the series. It's it ends up being about a lot of different kinds of psychologies that we see in females who are not as healthy as other females. Let's put it that way. Mm -hmm. And how that presents differently than in males. So one of the things that can present a little bit differently is the idea of stalking. And mm-hmm. so, and that presents different in females than it does in males, just like most things. So fatal attraction has that component as well. And then poison Ivy is from 1992. Oh, I will say fatal attraction has Michael Douglas. It has Glenn Close and like an amazing performance. She's and so uh, Ann Archer. And uh, I Ann, forgot Anna. how great her performance was. Oh my God. A young Ann Archer. She was just great i and did too smoking hot oh my god she was gorgeous exactly and they did that on purpose obviously, i know because you're it like not why about, would you leave yeah 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 to let you know that that's never what it's about that's right <laughs> that's right so then poison ivy is 1992 93 minutes long this is actually considered a drama thriller just like fatal attraction and this one is drew barrymore sarah gilbert tom scarrett like just heavy hitters from the early nineties for sure. Mm-hmm. And it's more about a seductive teen played by Drew Barrymore who befriends an introverted high school student, shockingly played by Sarah Gilbert and schemes her way into the lives of her wealthy family. So there's a stalking component. There's a cheating component that's same similar to fatal mm-hmm. attraction where there's those things, but presented in very different ways, which we'll get into. I, uh, 
Sarah Gilbert played that very stereotypical Sarah Gilbert yeah. role, which I which I loved. But for, uh, what I remember is that f- this for Drew Barrymore was one of those kind of like, oh, she's like older yeah. and sluttier yes. now. She <laughs> and, can now like be sexualized. And, yeah, she was totally yeah. sexualized in this movie. And that was one of those ways that young, that child actors, female child actors had to establish themselves as adults was to play these kinds of more what we would have called in the 80s and 90s a slutty character, a character that's like using their sex to manipulate. And that's, you know, Kathy's mentioned it many times on the show about how that's one of those tropes about Yeah, and I think what makes this different than the other two that we're going to talk about is the fact that she was a minor. And so how does that play into culpability and things like that? Absolutely. And then the third movie that's from the aughts is called Obsessed, and it's 2009, a little under two hours. A successful asset manager, played by Idris Elba, hello, who has just received a huge promotion, is blissfully happy in his career and in his marriage. He is married to a character played by Beyonce. But when a temp worker starts stalking him, who's played by Ali Larder, all the things he's worked so hard for are placed in jeopardy. And so that's the 2009 offering. And this has a stocking element to it. It has a delusional element to it. Sure. It has like the borderline element to it. It has all the, you know, similar. These all kind of have similar stuff. I am um, just side note, really enjoyed Beyonce's performance in this. I did too. I thought she was really good. I did too. And that was what was fun about never having seen this. And and to be honest, there's a lot of art movies that yeah. I haven't seen. It was yeah. a decade where I, I guess I remember I, when it came out. I just never, yep, never watched never, it. Mm-hmm. Never happened for me either. It was an interesting decade. It wasn't a decade where I was consuming tons and tons of media. So there's some potholes, for, <laughs> so to speak, where yep. I haven't seen a lot of the stuff. So for sure. I figure let's start with Fatal Attraction because it's the heavy hitter here as far as let's popularity and and all of that. She's aggressive. (laughs) Let's start with, I mean, well here, let's set this up, right? So we have like a middle-aged guy, Michael Douglas and his wife, Ann Archer, who have their daughter. I think her name was Helen, if I remember correctly, or Ellen. She was adorable, by the way, the little girl that played the daughter. They set the stage for this, you know, at least they're perceived to be a very happy family, very happily married, have a great partnership. He's very successful. The wife, especially for the time that the movie was made in 1987, she was assertive, autonomous. Like it seemed like it was a very evolved family for that time. Yeah, like confident relationship. Very confident. They'd been together for a while. They show, you know, preceding this whole meeting with Glenn Close, they show how they really, even even in company of their friends and stuff, they're kind of known as this couple who's really solid. And and genuinely, I, I think it was believable to, believable to me that they really did love each other and that that he really did love her and loved her throughout this whole thing. Absolutely. And I mean, he meets Gunn close within five minutes of the movie. So that's what the great thing about a tight script is that it it just, it really goes a lot. It just moves Mm -hmm. along and there's so many beats that are really resonant with both action and character. I just, I just love that. And they show the strength of their marriage throughout even his affair. Mm -hmm. They continue to make you, really feel like he is conflicted. Yeah, I mean they they really show how he got caught up, he did this deed, he took up with this woman for a couple of days and he was very much in that mindset of 
this will be fun and I will enjoy myself and then I will go back to my life. Mm -hmm. And that of course sounds incredibly selfish. And if, if you're in a relationship that monogamy is the standard and that's what you've agreed to, obviously that's a selfish move, but he didn't catch any of the signs of, of what she was bringing down. But one thing I'd like to say about these two characters, I guess in, in an, in the interest of kind of introducing this is that one thing that's so great about this script is that they are both genuinely likable, meaning Glenn Close, the, mm -hmm. the woman that he has an affair with mm -hmm. and Michael Douglas mm -hmm. within their, within his primary relationship, he's likable and looks great on the surface. And in this affair, when they first meet and they're getting to know each other over dinner or what have you and the flirtation, they're both genuinely likable. You like Glenn Close. She's funny. They're having a great time. They go to the park. I mean, they really show and you. she's sexy. She's sexy. She's funny. They joke around. They, all of this stuff. And then there's, of course, a few beats that come where you realize she's not quite <laughs> as stable as you would want because mm -hmm. they really, but that's why it's so solid is that they set it up like she is. Like she's this great independent woman that's just looking for a good time. She kind of lies to him about that. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, I see an, we, you know, it's an opportunity and we're fine. And then I would say that then they are both really unlikable. Yeah. He physically assaults her. He breaks into her house. He does all kinds of things that are, are in the, you know, we know what she does. She gets murderous. Yeah. And he feel it, to me, it almost feels like with Michael Douglas, it, that rage was like a desperation. Yeah. Because he was so, and this is not at all me defending him. He made a lot no, of mistakes, no, but, but I think where you and I were talking a little bit before we started recording was Michael Douglas played this character so well that although you are upset with him for what he's done to his family, you can see that once that switch flips, he realizes that he's fucked up. And yeah. so he's so desperate to make sure that she does not contact the wife, that he will go as far as physically harming her. It becomes very primal. Yeah, I could see several times in this. What I think is, is you could look at it from the surface and say, oh, they're both culpable in this. Like he could yeah. have stopped this any time. But as we know, the way the story plays out is that even when he does end up telling his wife, it's still, it's doesn't she keeps stop going. it. It, get, it gets even worse. Yeah. And so, but what I see is what you're saying is like the motivations behind it are differently different. Mm -hmm. Like I see the guy trying to have a good time and, and get a release from responsibility and have that mm -hmm. affair and whatever the reasons why that happens. But then I also see what you're saying is the fear and the reactive aggression mm -hmm. to the fear and also to the, like the protection, the masculine protective gene yes. Yes. kick in when she starts to threaten the family, threaten the kid, threaten his wife. It's like then, a lion pride. Then he goes and yeah. he does try to, he thinks he can kill her, but he can't. Right. And he tries to, but he can't really go through with it. He has the opportunity. And I just see that like, don't threaten my, my, the people that I love the most in right. the world. Yeah. And there's the, and then there's where my feeling of, you know, and obviously this happens quite a bit in marriages more than we'd probably like to admit, but my automatic reaction is like, well, you didn't fucking think you dumbass. Yeah. And you were with someone really incredible and your ego and all these things took over. Right. And Glenn Close was really good at convincing him that 
he was special and unique and desirable and all of these things that sometimes in a marriage people stop feeling because the love transitions into something more mature. And so that lust or that, you know, sometimes can be lost. And here's the overcorrection is like, well, I'm going to lean into someone who wants me. His wife wanted him. His wife loved him. Yeah. But in a very mature and a way that happened over years, this was way more just, again, primal and, you know, reacting to that instinct of like, here we are out of sight, out of mind. She's out of town with my daughter or our daughter. Um, will anybody ever find out? And and the truth is, is like anybody who says that, I'm not saying everybody would act on it, but most people have had that thought. Of course. Right? So that's where the I think the humanity is in him. Again, it's not justifying what he did. He, he did take it too far. But in that moment in the restaurant, when they're having that conversation, she even brings up, then why are you here with me? And he says, you know, well, what's an innocent dinner? kind of gauging where she is. And then he basically says, it's up to you if we want to do something. So he externalizes the the blame right there too, which is his first way of going, Hey, I'm the victim in this. <laughs> yeah. You know? It's his way of also giving her permission to say, you know what, I'm in a relationship and it's up to you. In other words, he's basically saying to her, that's not going to change. Yes, so it's, that's true. It's up to mm-hmm. you of whether or not that's, okay with you in other words we know it's not okay with her because she thinks she has more power in the situation that she does and he's saying hey i'm in a relationship and that's not going to change so if you want to have sex for a couple of days great but yeah you know without articulating all that which would have been helpful (laughs) right it was like a diffusion of responsibility yeah but he didn't that's not what he was in it for because we we've you know, in an hour in or whatever, we, we start to realize that her motivations are really different. Mm -hmm. So when she tries to kill herself, it's a, it's a reaction to rejection and hurt Mm -hmm. and abandonment, which is what we see in a lot of borderline conditions. And then like when he comes and he's violent with her. And I do remember the first time I ever saw fatal attraction, which was long before I was ever in the psychology field, and and he's really violent with her at one point in the in like the end of the second act or so he comes to her house and he tries to kill her but then of course he can't do it because that's not in his his wheelhouse he wants to but he doesn't and as he's walking away from her she's smiling really mm-hmm. in that crazy way with the no you know the no eye affect but the smile mm-hmm. and you know which is always quite eerie but what I what I read in that now. Then it was just, oh, she's creepy and crazy. But now I read in that that he's become violent and so now she's calm. Because when he wasn't buying into any of her stuff and was calm, she was really affectively aggressive. And then once she could project that onto him and then he could carry the violent aggression and get really, she was like, Gotcha. It's very, it, it's satisfaction to them. And we see this in, in personality disorder dynamics with narcissism and borderline all the time, where once they have you in that state, that's exactly where they wanted, they, they want you to, to be feeling something. And once that he was in that state, it's like, oh, okay, do, well, I got to yeah. rise out of you. Well, and you do care. You do care. Mm-hmm. And that's love. Yep. Like, Even if it's anger, you care enough to be that rageful. We're connected. Yeah. See? You love me because you're so angry. Yeah. 
It's like, no, I, I love them. That's why I'm so angry. You well, know? And, that, and that's why, you know, when you're working with someone and you're helping them gain tools, if there's a narcissist in their life, it's like the number one killer is indifference. Being neutral and being indifferent is the ultimate humiliation to someone. Well, and it's also, you know, we've talked about gray rocking and Mm -hmm. stuff like that. And that that can work with people in a borderline condition, too. But it can also not work with people in a borderline condition. Mm -hmm. It's also, it's like one of those sort of assessment tools is you gray rock someone who's a narcissist. It works. Mm -hmm. Uh, You gray rock someone in a borderline state. Not usually. Usually right. makes them worse. Worse. Mm-hmm. So interesting assessment tool in the room for yeah. sure. <laughs> I have a, a colleague of mine who talks about yellow rocking, which is kind of that in between where, especially if you share children or something, you may not have the luxury to gray rock. You might have to give a little bit more, but you still don't give a lot. Right. But enough for them to not rage. Because yeah, if they're if that pendulum is swinging towards the borderline, gray rocking, you're right. It's gonna it's gonna cause more of a problem. I guess all that to say, the thing I was really struck by with fatal attraction, which I never would have thought about before, is that it's so solid psychologically. Mm-hmm. There, they track. There's so many moments in this. You know, there's I could I could give you a big list of moments that are that are literal characterological plot points. Which of course was what good scripts have is mm-hmm. they not only have the plot trajectory but they have the character trajectory, and every single moment that if you were to pinpoint every moment for Glenn Close is so on the money as far as what we see in her psychologically over Mm -hmm. time. Mm -hmm. And I just thought that was great. I'm like, no wonder this was such a good movie to people because people that don't even know the psychology, it was ringing true. It was, and she of course she's the performance. is phenomenal. I mean, she there was a complexity to her that made her human and not like this one dimensional diagnosis. Yeah. They must have, they must have consulted. I would imagine because it was too good for someone yeah. who doesn't have the background to be able to write a lot that. of good, re- good psychological research, honestly, mm-hmm. in my opinion. Yeah. Poison Ivy. Shall we move on? Let's to do Poison it. Ivy? A seductive teen, as I said, befriends an introverted high school student and schemes her way into the lives of the wealthy family. So this one is kind of a lot more fun in a way mm-hmm. i don't know the 90s right yeah it well i've seen this movie so many times because i remember going wow drew <laughs> hello girl well, you've changed she was so pretty yeah i remember that too mm-hmm. and so manipulative yeah oh my god for me this movie a lot a lot of different feelings come up now that i watch it as an older person because when i watched it i was still i think a teenager when it came out mm-hmm. and thinking about um just Obviously, yes, we're seeing problematic behavior in a young woman, still a child by, you know, how the law would establish her as a child. And so for me, obviously, you know, this is a young woman that needs a lot of therapy, but this is a different movie in the sense that there's a question of culpability because he is an adult and although she's manipulative and also has that borderline organization and maybe some sociopathic traits in there. There's, I don't know. It's a little bit more questionable to me. I know that when they made this, it was also somewhat of a tie into the Amy, Amy Fisher story. Mm. Um, If people don't remember that Amy Fisher, also known as the Long Island Lolita uh, became 
fixated on a man by the name of Joey Buttafuoco, who was, they were living in New York and he was married and she ended up having an affair with him. And he did what these men do, which basically, you know, Hey, I'm married, get away from me. I had my fun. And he, she showed up one day to his house and shot his wife and left her paralyzed on one side of the face. So this, I know this movie was made around that time that that was going on. And so I think that there was a correlation to how that. Yeah. So in the zeitgeist, it was like a ripped from the news oversimplification of what, and of what was going on in our, Mm -hmm. in our news time. Right. And yeah. uh, And also made like seeing a teen with a 40 something year old man in this, at least that's what he looks like. Yeah. It made it like, I don't know if it, made it more disgusting or more acceptable on the screen. Cause it's not really something you like, I was kind of set back by it. Cause mm-hmm. I'm not used to seeing that anymore, but there was right. a time when that was not that it's not in movies. Of course it's in movies, but in kind of like a popcorn movie like this, you know? Yeah. It wasn't, it, right. it's a little, it was a little bit more like Jesus. Yes. The age gap is yes. so crazy. Yep. Whereas then we were seeing that a lot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So this was a very controversial and, um, but I thought Drew played this role very well. She did. <laughs> and you, you're really drawn to her and you really hate her all at the same time. But I also yeah. really hated Tom Scared in this movie. Yeah. They were. He was yes. piece of shit. So see the difference, right? Mm-hmm. Is like with Poison Ivy and definitely not as successful as Fatal Attraction and certainly not as respected. With this, it's like, nobody's likable you know it's a little bit different um i mean sarah gilbert i mean they all have a little bit of likability but that's the shrink in me that says that because i I know that just as a viewer sort of sort of most of them are unlikable and that makes it a little bit more difficult and a little bit more in in some ways disturbing but it's like the lying and the manipulating and and drew really plays the sociopath in the sense that like no remorse using sex as a weapon like mm-hmm. like with Glenn Close's performance and that script yes she's definitely uses sex as a weapon but i she she uses it as a seduction to get what she you, there's just more complexity to it she uses it as the initial seduction that's right into what she wants which is love this is a great distinction you're making too because when people ask like you know how do you differentiate a sociopath from someone who might be more borderline organized or even narcissistic is the sadism and the intentionality. When you look at Glenn Close, she was more apt to harm herself. Yes, she harmed him and went towards the family when she wasn't getting what she wanted, but that was not her MO from the beginning. That was all very reactive due to these borderline features. With Poison Ivy, with Drew, she really didn't love him. She didn't care about this family. She was using all of them. She was seducing him to get power and control. She was very intentional. She was very deliberate in everything she did and not because she was in love or not because she feared abandonment. There's a huge, huge difference between these two women, in my opinion. Absolutely. And she was there. She she was there to, they were both there to be to replace someone in the family, right? They both wanted to replace the wife, but they were doing it in completely different ways and for completely different reasons, I think is what we're saying. Absolutely. Glenn Close wanted to 
move her way into it and be acknowledged and, and have him genuinely want her more. Whereas Drew didn't care whether or not you wanted her more. She was, that was a fate accompli to her. She's like, of course you want me more. Right. Whereas Drew, and that's the difference between the narcissism and the, and the borderline Borderline. condition is Mm -hmm. that the narcissist is like, of course you want me more. I'm just making it easy for you because I'm going to get rid of this and do this yeah. and do that. Whereas the borderline condition is like, no, I genuinely want you to love me more. Yeah. And Tom, if Tom and Skerritt, why don't you? <laughs> that's right. And if Tom Skerritt were to have rejected her, really yeah. it would have just been like, okay, but next. I'm, I'm going to go fuck someone else. <laughs> yeah. And then by that, he would have had a reaction and gone and gotten her, which is what that would have been that whole cat and mouse. The narcissism follow you mm-hmm. do. <laughs> yeah, that's right. So yeah. it's very, very different, which is what I think also made Amy Fisher and Drew's character not yeah. all that similar because right. after studying a little bit of Amy Fisher and Elizabeth Wurzel, by the way, writes a book called Bitch, which is a great book. That's a great book. Wow, I haven't thought about that book in so long. Yeah, and she talks about all the women who have really been misconstrued in in media. It was really a book that came out way before its time. Yeah, yeah, And she goes into depth. I, I don't mean to digress too much, but she does go into depth about how at the Amy Fisher trial, how women will tend to lean towards protecting the male even though they caused the problem. And in that trial, Jody, Joey Buttafuoco's mother-in-law, whose daughter was shot, still defended him uh, over Amy Fisher. Uh. So that's a really great book. Court, she talks yeah. about Courtney Love. She talks about, yep. but anyway. Makes me want to reread it. I haven't thought so about good. that book in so it's long. It's one of my favorite books. That's amazing. Yeah, no, I, I, yeah. I like that author. And yeah. so when it came out, I had, you know, I read it, you know, within a year or whatever. And, yeah, for those of you, you might know the book Prozac Nation. It's, the, it's the same I, yeah, author. Yeah. Exactly. So anyway, I great distinction of these two characters, Agreed. but look like they're doing the same thing, but with very different motives. Yeah, that's so really, I love when we have these chats. Same, they're very profound. So, Obsessed, 2009. Idris, mm-hmm. Elba, and Beyonce are so good in this. They are great. You know, and Allie Larder, you love to hate her. Well, and she seems to, she played those kinds of roles back she in did. the day, right? Like, yeah. even on TV and stuff, she always played, Farsi like, blues. the woman, the awful woman who comes in and does horrible things, which, yeah. you know, not the best typecasting for any actress, I don't think. No. But, hey, she was working. Yeah. Uh, if that's what you're getting given. There was a lot of that back in the day. And Jerry O'Connell. So there was like a lot of people in this movie that I was like, look, Christine Lottie's in this. And oh, look, young Jerry O'Connell. A lot of people. Yeah, it was really interesting from that perspective too, just if you want to throw it on sometime. So basically, this is definitely a stalking movie where Idris, he's culpable for definitely laying on the flirt. Sure. For like crazy in the beginning. Yes. And they even make mention of it where like he's a huge flirt. Even his wife jokes to him about it. And that's it. how he met his wife. Yes. She was the assistant. She was the assistant and like Ali Larder find knows that and has already researched him and and done a lot of looks like sounds like internet searching on him and, and so she pushes into all his buttons, plays his famous fa- favorite songs and all of that. But this is yet another situation where from minute one, she like attaches to him from a 30 second conversation in the elevator. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm very struck by in all three of these movies, they want you to believe, and it does happen like this in real life too, but they want you to believe that just like a very brief, short, random chance encounter 
and then a few missteps, you can get yourself in this kind of situation. No, that's not usually you have to the way it works. But you know, it's a movie. Participate. So, yeah, you do. And I think what we're saying is like in Fatal Attraction, that's portrayed the best. Yes, because we definitely see him participating in both the flirtation the um, giving her the wrong impression, the the violence, the anger, the reactive aggression, like he participates. But in this, Idris has a flirtation and then he's made, he's plays the victim the whole rest of the time. He really does. <laughs> he really yeah. does. Which is what makes this for me, you know, not the greatest movie yeah. for me, but... But I definitely enjoyed he's watching it. He's just a nice guy, Shannon. He didn't do anything yeah, wrong. I know. Sure. I mean, he's... Idris Elba is a likable. He is. He plays the part actor. Well. <laughs> so I mean, it's easy to really feel for him. I felt the most for Beyonce and their son. Uh, yeah, of course. And she plays this really strong, assertive role. And I, I, I honestly, I wish she would do more acting. I, Me I really too. because she was great. I don't particularly. I, I just don't listen to her music much. I, I. There's some of it that I really like, but mm-hmm. as an actor, she. I was like. I would watch you and like Je- when yeah. Jennifer Lopez transitioned. Yes. I thought yes. she was a great actor. Yep. Absolutely. I, so. I, so in this movie, you know, and I think this happens in Poison Ivy too. I can't remember, but in this movie, we're definitely in 2009 because, you know, date rape drugs are used. Oh my God. She basically drugs and rapes him. She does. And I, you know, hadn't seen this movie. So I was like, Oh, we're in the 2000s now because that was is, is still and was became a very common thing right. at that point. And this was it's funny because in this movie, there's so much gender norming mm-hmm. where everyone sort of assumes gender norms all along the way. And they ba- they're banking on you to buy into the gender norms to believe that this is possible. So it's kind of like 2009 and now it doesn't quite <laughs> translate for me because I have to buy into everyone in the room believing in the gender norms Yeah, to not even ever believe that she could be the one stalking him. And, you know, the cop, the Christine uh, Lottie character, you know, everyone <laughs> believes she's the victim right out of the gate. Like so much gender. Norming. I was actually talking out loud and I'm like, come on, if you're a detective, <laughs> you know that this, this woman is not like, I, know. I was upset a little bit at the beginning. Cause I'm like, if you're a detective, you're going to ask more questions. Well, that's, this is what I'm saying. Yeah. Like the difference of what maybe they could get away with in movies. Although I don't know how popular or probably, you know, this movie maybe didn't get great, you know, feedback anyway. I don't know, but like, she does catch on at least in the like third or fourth scene. We see this cop kind of questioning her in a different way. And you get the impression that she's not like hook, line and sinker, but the gender norming is so interesting. And yet they have these scenes where the guy is drugged and raped and they're trying to flip it on its, right. on its head. But they, they're kind of saying you have to believe in these gender norms to think that that's outrageous. And I guess from a 2023 standpoint, mm-hmm. I don't, I don't think that, like, I don't think any of that is outrageous, but I see how maybe from 2009 perspective that might've been like, well, women just don't drug men and rape them or whatever, but it didn't. So that didn't quite fly from my sensibilities right now. Yeah. That makes sense. Just in that little bit of a time gap, how much has changed? 
Yeah, and and maybe it hasn't changed for some people, and it's changed for others. You know, maybe maybe it wouldn't have. Maybe the one of the reasons why it wasn't that big of a movie or that successful at the time was because of that. I'm not sure, but. What did you think of this movie? You hadn't seen it. Uh, you know, I I mean, it wasn't the movie of the year, but I didn't, I, it was uh, entertaining. Oh, yeah. I would say. I, I, I didn't hate it. It was pretty easy to get through. And I there were a lot of people in the movie that I liked. Yeah, I mean, Idris Elba carried this movie for me. Like, he did. I just he think he's such a great actor. Yeah. So watching him was enjoyable and then I, uh, I like you I was surprised by Beyonce and then Allie yeah. Larder plays such a good um, Sh- lunatic villain yeah yeah and so that was all yeah. very enjoyable yeah the thing then it then it just started to wear on me because uh, him like just being the victim throughout and that sort of constant I, I don't like those kind of movies anyway right where it's like like the persistence? Like even if it's a male, it doesn't have to be male, doesn't have to be female. Right. The, gen, the gender doesn't matter to me right. as far as who's just the one where it's everyone thinks the wrong thing mm-hmm. and they're having to like prove themselves for an hour and a half. That just for me gets really wearing. Yeah. Well, the, the, yeah. <laughs> That's why Fatal Attraction for me like works better because there's kind of a quid pro quo going on mm-hmm. like back and forth mm-hmm. with it. Like she fucks up, then he fucks up and they're, they're really in this cycle It's more realistic. Together. Yeah. Yeah. You're right. It, this movie was more like, I haven't done anything wrong. I swear I've been the loyal husband and this woman just is super crazy. And I think that some people will have a reaction to those films too, because like you said at the beginning, this doesn't just happen unless someone has given an essence of a green light yeah. for that person to go, Oh, you kind of feel this too, right? It's very rare that somebody will be that that outwardly delusional, unless you're unless we're talking about like a celebrity stalker that sure. the person's never yep. met and they've created a story. It's just rare, but it's that is so incredibly rare. Nine times out of ten, the person's given them some level of encouragement. Yeah, I mean, we hear about the ones where it's a celebrity stalker mm-hmm. and it's out of nowhere and it means nothing. Like the celebrity has done nothing, nothing wrong. Yeah except be in the public eye, which is part of their job. But yeah, it's like his light flirtation in the elevator yeah. is not enough to no create this. No. <laughs> so, so I guess what we're saying is this movie is really, he's not a celebrity, but this is the closest to when the victim really had nothing to do with anything. Right. Whereas Fatal Attraction, you see his culpability in it the most. And then Poison Ivy is kind of just the fun trash in the middle. <laughs> and the Poison Ivy 2 with Alyssa Milano. I remember watching that one back in the day because I really liked her. And then they made a bunch of them, I think, Poison Ivies. They know. did. They made like four of or five of them or something. They're so bad, too. Oh, yeah. my gosh. They're so bad. They get I, worse and worse and oh, worse. Jamie so Presley, bad. I think, was in one. Oh. and. <laughs> I think one. she's number three. They're so bad. I think she's she's Ivy number three. But they were good like when it was just the TV channels. Yeah. They were good like Sunday you're flipping the TV channels back in the day. I mean, Poison Ivy, the original is like a lifetime movie. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Absolutely. So thank you so much. <laughs> thank you so much for listening. We really appreciate you. This is an episode of Terror Talk. My name is Shannon. And I'm Kathy. Sleep safe, everyone.